0: Hey everyone! I'm Ben Parker here to tell you that the Stats Sheet podcast is presented by Box Score Network. Box Score Network is your one-stop shop for all things NFL podcasts. You want game analysis, betting lines, hot takes, or fantasy advice? Well, check out Box Score Network and follow Box Score Network on Twitter at BScore Network for updates. Welcome back in, everybody, to the Stat Sheet Podcast. A privilege to have you on board. As we do every week, we go through all the major primetime games, injuries, news, and whatever else we think we can get into. All of it's NFL. All of it's great. Simon's with us, as always. Ronan is here, as always. Let's jump right in. We just watched Monday Night Football, the Jets and the Chargers. Not the most scintillating game, but Ronan, come on in with the hot takes and give us what you got, man.
1: No hot takes coming out of this game. Um, I think this was kind of how we expected it to go heading into this week. Um, it, it was a good defense of the Jets, but a pretty struggling offense uh, against the Chargers, who, although they've struggled this season, they have a good roster and uh, they've got some talent all around, offensively and defensively. Um, truthfully, th- there's not a whole lot to uh, you know, really sit here and. Uh, I don't know, I, I guess, prioritize, but there was, I guess, one thing that really stood out from this game, and that was the pass rush. Um, Justin Herbert was sacked five times, right? So that the Jets were getting after it, and then on the flip side, Zach Wilson got hounded for eight sacks, lost 57 yards uh, to, in total. So, Simon, that that's what I'm going to give you to go ahead and – I don't know, maybe rant about a little bit. How were how the offensive linemen looking tonight? Because uh, on, on paper, it was not too good.
2: Ronan, I have no rants. I have no rants about oh, this game. No, uh, no listen, uh, Chargers offensive line, Ben and I were screaming from the mountaintops that the Trey Pipkins re-signing was, was disappointing, but it was coming from all over for the Chargers, so it's not just on him, but he definitely had a couple of those. This Jets defensive line, it's just it's – really, it's really good. It's, it's very, very good, and the receivers that Justin Herbert is working with are not the speediest receivers that are out there. So those guys – you got to wait for those guys to get open. Um, Not a lot developing downfield, so that gives those Jets pass rushers even more time to get to you. It's really just kind of a, a combination of a lot of things, but in terms of the O-line, Pipkins had his struggles in this one. And on the Jets side of it, man, I mean – that line is just – is going through it. I mean, you got Max Mitchell. They're wow. kicking him into right guard for the first time in his whole career. I don't even know if he did – I don't even think he did that in college. Um, and putting Billy Turner back out there at, at right tackle. Joe Titman, his first game back, he missed He missed a game last week, and now he's the starting center. And Lakin Tomlinson's not, not doing all that hot and just – I mean, yeah, it, it's not great, but it, you got Zach Wilson back there trying to make things happen. He's going to take sacks. He's going to get hit. Threw the ball 49 times in this one. I mean, that's just, that's a rough go. And, and I think the only thing that is, well, it's not even, oh, well, yes, the only thing that is surprising is that Herbert didn't throw his pick. I, I had, I had, um, Uh, A little bit uh, uh, of cheddar on that one, and I was so sure it was going to work out for me. I plus odds for one pick when this Jets—we heard the stat during the game between Hurts, Mahomes, and Allen, those matchups for the Jets, and and we've said it when we've covered these games. The Jets, you know, if you're a good quarterback, just chalk it up to two inexplicable interceptions— the Herbert haters, listen to this now, are going to now tell me that means he's not a good quarterback. Just get out of my mentions. I don't <laughs> want to hear it. 136 yards for Herbert through the air, 84 yards on the ground total for the Chargers. The Jets did their thing on defense. They're always going to do their thing, but this is who they are. You know, Put them against any level of a capable defense in just one phase of the game, whether it's pass rush, pass rush uh, run defense, pass defense. They're going to put up six points. So that, that's that's where we're at with that one, Ben. Kind of, as Ronan said, expected. But you know, we we had the punt return touchdown. That was fun. We had a fun fight. Seeing Aaron. Rod- Here's actually what I want to know: How do we feel about Aaron Rodgers in the big headset with like the actual microphone, like he was calling in plays or something? How do we feel? Normally, the backup QBs or the guys that are inactive just wear the little earpiece, right? Uh, no, he he was fully dialed in. He had like a play sheet and everything. Was was Rodgers calling plays, Ben?
0: Uh, I know I don't think so but it uh, wouldn't matter if he was um listen I, I I like Aaron Rodgers being out there uh, we all know he likes attention and maybe that's one of the reasons he's doing it but listen emotionally it would have been easy for him to kind of fold up his tent and go home for the season you know after that big injury you know it would have been easy to do he hasn't done that so I, I like him being out there and being a part. I think it's encouraging to everybody I really do Simon I love the way though your reverse mind meld there that you did that uh, that Herbert Haters would actually deem Herbert a bad quarterback because he didn't throw an interception against the Jets defense who gets interceptions from great quarterbacks. I love that. Your wife would be proud, I'm sure, uh, with all of that reverse psychology going on there. But I really, really like that. Um, Simon, I'm going to ask you a question here in a minute about the Jets not trading for quarterback at the trade deadline. But emotionally, I, I really felt like watching this game, the Jets fans have felt it now for a year and a half. But it just it seemed to be overwhelming in this game, watching all the Jets fans in the stadium watch their offense, man. And you're just hoping. You're hoping. You're hoping. You're hoping. And those hopes keep getting dashed, man. Hey, first of all, it's Zach Wilson. Obviously, he struggles at quarterback. We all know it. But then it's wide receivers not catching balls that you're like, man, if he just caught that ball, you know, we could have – the drive could have continued. And, and then it's other stuff. It's penalties. And then it's, then it's the head coach doing something. You're like, eh, I don't know why I did that. And you're like, man, we just cannot do anything on offense. If we could do just a bit on offense, if we could just punch a little bit. So, But anyway, the, the Jets didn't trade for quarterback. Simon, I'll let you go in the direction. Do you think they should have or did you hope that they would have um, maybe picked up a, a Dobbs themselves, which we'll get to later? Done something here, or were you fine with the fact that they're just rolling on through and waiting for Aaron Rodgers next year?
2: I mean, fine with it. No, I would have liked for them to have done something. Um, but you know, you start running through the names, like who who are the names that it would have been that would have been substantially better, right? And really the only realistic one is probably Ryan Tannehill, but based on the fact that the Titans seem to close up shop after they traded Kevin Bayer it seems like that wasn't really going to be in the cards. Plus you're dealing with the ankle injury. So whatever real chance there was of that probably went down the drain when he got hurt. I thought it was interesting. They said this on the broadcast, um, but before I kind of checked out where they were trying to trade for a number two wide receiver, which was really interesting considering they just gave Alan Lazard a four year, $44 million contract. Uh, and, and he's having a rough go uh, of it. So, so far, um, maybe that's what happens when you make your personal decisions based on your forty year old quarterback. But it seems to me like it's it's almost a team with a lack of i don't I mean, I guess I want to say so I want to say a lack of self-awareness of like who they are, right? Like oh, we're just a receiver away from staying competitive enough for Aaron Rodgers to come back with his torn Achilles and playing, whether it's whether they actually believe it's this season or like you said, Ben if they're just holding out for next year and they're like, you know what, we're going to keep all our draft picks. We're going to continue to build this thing. We see it as a two to three year window um, and we're not going to rush it. But hearing that they were trying to push for another receiver when, when they made that Alan Lazard move really, that got me nervous. That got me feeling like, man, this team is still kind of bought in on, on Zach Wilson and and what they're trying to do right now. And that's, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign, Ben.
0: Yeah, agreed. And I I would be all in favor of them drafting another wide receiver next offseason, but trading for one right now, not my favorite move. I I wish they had traded for maybe either uh, uh, Dobbs or Jacoby Brissett just to give themselves something else to compete with at quarterback until whenever Rodgers comes back. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to sit Zach Wilson, but I think we all know they probably would be if Brissett or Dobbs were in the building. Would we'll have just given the Jets more of a chance, but uh, they, they opted out to do it. All right, people who did make trades. So we've got a couple of teams here tonight we're going to talk about. Not all of them, but the Chicago Bears traded a second-round pick to the Commanders for Montez Sweat, edge rusher from the Commanders, and took a couple of days. Sweat even said he wasn't yet ready to sign an extension, and then a few days later <laughs> turned around and signed A-ching! the four-year, $98 million contract. Uh, Ronan, I'll give you first dibs on this, man.
1: Yeah, now obviously the, the Bears needed a pass rusher of the future, right? Um, sorry, I, I was brought in this offseason. It, it hasn't necessarily been all that they had hoped for. I assume. Um, granted, they know what they're getting into bringing in a guy like Ngakwe to be their number one pass rusher uh, off the edge. It's you know what you're going to get with that. Um, this front four is probably, you know, next to my Rams, maybe because next to Aaron Donald, it's pretty tough. This Bears front four was probably one of the worst in the league. So bringing in Sweat um, at the very least increases the value. Uh, it will hopefully make the guys around him a little bit better. I'm a little bit hesitant to be all in on this. Right, four years, ninety-eight million. That's a lot of cheddar for a guy who hasn't necessarily proven to be that number one pass rusher. He's been, you know, on a great defensive line in Washington. And that paired with the fact, I'm going to bring in another trade, uh, the Chase Young deal to San Francisco, where they gave up, I believe, a a third and a fifth or something along the lines. Um, The Bears gave up even more for Sweat than, you know, Young went for which, you know, I, I don't know how... You would compare the two, but personally, I'd probably value Young a little bit more than Sweat. So uh, the Bears have kind of been notorious for, uh, no, I don't want to say notorious, but you know, we look back to last year with Chase Claypool uh, going for a borderline first-round pick, and uh, th- th- they've overpaid a little bit. So yeah, you know, I-, I think part of that is the fact that they're rebuilding. They're in a cold city with uh, no dome you know, it's it's a little bit more to buy into Chicago than it is to, let's say, San Francisco. So uh, I think a second-round pick, you know, if it works out for Sweat, it's going to end up being a steal for uh, Chicago. But on the flip side of it, if Sweat is just a run-of-the-mill pass rusher, uh, this trade in two, three years probably won't be looked at in favor of the Bears, Ben. Yeah, Simon, go ahead and take a run at it, and then
0: I'll jump in.
2: Yeah, so what we're seeing from Chicago, just uh, for the 30,000-foot view, is they are building the defense and the image that Matt Eberflus wants. And it's taken a couple years. They had to do, when Brian Poles got in two years ago, they had to do the teardown of of the old guys, right? Um, the, The old defensive lineman, Akeem Hicks, those sorts of guys. Last year, Matt Eberflus comes in, they trade Roquan Smith. Um, they trade the edge rusher who went to Philly, who I can't even remember now. Um, they 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 start selling off piece by piece, and they're starting to build it back up the way Eberflus wants. So they they get Javon Dexter in the draft, right? They draft Tyreek Stevenson, um, Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker. They uh swap out the linebackers and get Tremaine Edmonds and um the other guy back from the Eagles, uh T.J. Edwards. And, and and now Montez Sweat kind of feels like it's the okay. This is the final piece. Um, I I do. I'm with Ronan. I think they'll probably need to look into the draft to go get that guy who can get you twelve and a half, fourteen sacks, that kind of person. But in terms of getting a good baseline defense, Sweat is a guy that can get you, let's say, nine to ten sacks a, a season. But compared to a guy like Chase Young, he's going to be available. Um, he, he, he's he been much more durable. I think he only had one season where he dealt with injuries. And he's going to be uh, more impactful in the run game as well and just more consistent year to year. And that's something that Iberflus needs right now, right? Uh, th- this isn't a team that can take a, a flyer on a, a a high pedigree guy who's had his ups and downs. They did that last year with Chase Claypool. We'll talk about. Joey Porter Jr. and why that's working out great for the Pittsburgh Steelers here in a little bit. But um Monteswat, he, he you you know what you're gonna get from him, and, and you know you're gonna get high level play. Might not be flashy in terms of sacks, but we've talked on this podcast before where it's like, you know, sometimes the the sack numbers can be overrated unless you're getting the like 17 plus kind of category from the true elite elite guys. Um, I was fine with this. I think the price, yeah, was a little steep. I think it made sense from a uh, – why did Montez Sweat go for more than Chase Young? Like I said, so it probably still was a little too much. But Chase Young had his fifth-year option declined, and it was because of the injury history. This is the best year of his career so far. So it makes sense that he goes for a little bit less, I think, in my mind. And like Ronan said, you kind of have to overpay when you're Chicago, and they want to get Sweat in the building. They want to show him, like, hey, you could be our guy. Ben, I want to hear from you on – the money side because we talked about Rashawn gary last week this puts him over the Rashawn gary number we said Rashawn gary was setting that edge market right you know these even for these non-elite guys gonna be top five paid edge rushers at this point sweat just barely comes in above Rashawn gary how do you feel about the money that's coming through he got 98 mil in in new money over four years that averages 24 and a half mil a season behind garrett the bosas and watt um his total guarantee it looks like it is almost seventy three mil, so like three years worth of that four year contract. I think fully guaranteed about forty two, so that's probably about two years worth. What do you think about all that?
0: Yeah, I, I real quick, I'm going to go back to the Chase Young thing too because yeah, I'm going to. I have a lot here, but I'll try to move through it quick. Another reason that uh, that uh, uh, Sweat went for more than Young is that Young also has had a bit of a reputation the past two or three seasons since his rookie season. I've been a little bit difficult to coach, difficult to work with, kind of going rogue on defense sometimes. That has added to it, along with everything that both of you guys mentioned there. So I think that's why another reason Sweat went for a little bit more than Young did. Fair or not, that seemed to be the case, even though I think Young probably is more talented than Sweat, as far as I can tell. And yet Sweat seems to be the more consistent producer, you know, pretty significantly year in and year out other than Chase Young's rookie season. I like this deal for the Bears for a lot of reasons. But first of all, you guys are right. It's a bit of an overpay. It's a it's a rich deal, right? Trading and then signing this, it's, it's a lot of money. And I'm all for anybody. Y'all know me, I'm tight on cap space. I'm all for anybody that wants to say, this is too much for Montez Sweat, because it is, all right? You cannot possibly take that amount of money and the, the amount of pressure that Sweat gets on quarterbacks and make it really pan out. It just doesn't, Okay. But I still love the deal for the Bears because the Bears have struggled to have edge rushers for many years. Even even during the years they had Khalil Mack come in, he wasn't ever quite the same except for that one season that he was with the Raiders. It just wasn't the same version. But even before Khalil Mack, they've struggled to have edge rushers in the building, struggled for years and years and years. So they this is really the one big thing missing from the defense. Simon, you mentioned it. They've got linebackers. They've got a secondary that is workable. They've got things there to work with. They've got defensive tackles there that they drafted this past offseason with uh, uh, I'm, uh,
2: uh, I'm Zach, Pickens and, and Zach Pickens and Dexter,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. both of those guys, along with a couple other guys holding over from last year. But this is where it really got obvious here. The Bears have become the best team in football at stopping the run from a statistical standpoint. Now, listen, we they're not really the best, okay. But statistically, they're holding teams to 3.3 a carry and 79 a game. But they are the worst in the league at getting to the quarterback. They're bottom at 10 sacks, and they've been at the bottom for years. So it made sense they needed to do this. They can still draft somebody next year, maybe a Jared Verse from Florida State, you know, if they want to, to go along with Sweat, be more of the high-end sack master guy to go with Sweat's consistent pressure off the edge. I like it for the Bears. It's a rich deal all the way around, but I still like it. I, I, I felt like they wanted to do this. Ronan, anything else here? We've covered a lot.
1: Uh, You know what? I, I'm starting to eat my words on the uh, Chase Young and Montez Sweat comparison. You guys have opened my eyes. Um, But, Ben, like you said, I, I think Young is probably the more talented player. Um, yes. But by far, Sweat has been the more consistent player from a year-to-year basis. Simon
2: and and I'll just add in they also gave Andrew Billings a 2-year contract extension uh journeyman defensive tackle so just another example of like Eberflus yeah. is finding the guys that work for what he wants, and, and to back up Ben's point, you know, you at the raw statistics, advanced stats have also liked the Bears' run defense this year. They are seventh in DVOA in wow. terms of run DVA run rush DVOA on defense. So it's okay. you're, it's starting to piece together a little bit. So yeah, if they can get a pass rush, help out those young DBs, um, this defense could step up. But no first round edge rushers. We'll we'll get to the Bears and draft picks at some point. <laughs> Wide receiver and tackle if, if you're going to stick with fields, and then obviously quarterback and, and something else if you're not. But no no defense.
0: Third You've round. You've got a great point there. Yeah. Later.
2: Later. <laughs> later. Get to it later.
0: They have tried. All right. Uh, next, the Minnesota Vikings. Um, Simon, I'm going to let you lay the table for this one, man. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings tried a sixth-round pick to the Cardinals quarterback Josh Dobbs, and credit to you, Simon, last week, you trotted out the conspiracy theory. And while we all entertained the idea, I said, hey, I think it's probably something else going on here. And then, boom, next day, Dobbs gone to Minnesota. Go ahead and set the table for us on that.
2: Josh Dobbs, in another universe, he's the Pittsburgh Steelers starting quarterback, <laughs> being handed the keys from Ben Roethlisberger after he retired. Uh, listen, Josh Dobbs had a, an incredible Almost it hasn't even been a full calendar year, guys, since he was plucked from the Lions practice squad to go play for the Tennessee Titans in a must-win game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that was when the whole lore of Josh Dobbs really began in terms of his ability to walk into an NFL building and and be a dude and, and just walk in and build. I mean, he's a he's a legitimate playground all time QB. Like he's the kid that's two years older than everybody else. He's like, I don't know any of you guys, but I can grip it and rip it. And, you know, he's he's Vince Vaughn and wedding crashers. I, I was I was all state, <laughs> but I got this, you know, just like I could I could just walk in and do this. He's going over his cadence with, with the offensive line, like uh, 30 seconds before he goes in. Um, let me back this up. I'm getting real excited here. Josh Dobbs. Let me throw another conspiracy at you. The Arizona Cardinals traded Josh Dobbs, and then they lose 20 to 0, 27 to 0. You know, coincidence? (laughs) I think not. Um, Josh Dobbs goes to the Minnesota Vikings. We were wondering what they were going to do post Kirk Cousins. Dobbs wasn't supposed to play. Jaron Hall, fifth-round rookie out of BYU, gets hurt in the first quarter. Dobbs goes 20 of 30 for 158 yards through the air, runs for another 66 yards, three total touchdowns and the Vikings come back on the Atlanta Falcons for the win. Dobbs looks like he's going to be the starter in Minnesota. The rest of the season looks like he's going to get a good backup contract uh, after the season ends. But I mean, the Vikings are in play still for a seven seed. I can't believe I'm saying it like, this guy just continues to walk in and impress everywhere he goes. Uh, learning offenses completely on the fly and and making teams competent and competitive. So I love this. This is a ton of fun. Um, we we could dive more into the history of Josh Dobbs at some point if everybody wants. But Ronan, just your initial thoughts, man, on on Dobbs and the the trade, the the play, the game, whatever.
1: I'm going to go with the Vikings approach here um, because Kirk Cousins goes down last week, right? And, you know, all, all is kind of lost, right? The past couple of weeks, we saw Minnesota struggle. Well, at the beginning of the season, we saw him struggle. And then we saw him kind of level out and uh, end up starting to play some decent football, even without Justin Jefferson. And, and then Kirk gets injured. And then all hope is lost. And, and then you bring out this beautiful idea that Josh Dobbs might get shipped out and um guys this Vikings team might be like slightly above average and that just might get them Simon like you said at that 7 seed um even in a kind of goofy NFC North right we don't really know what's going to happen there so they could mess around Josh Dobbs could go on and run and win the win the north can can you imagine that scenario?
2: All right, let's let's slow down a little bit. Hey,
1: you know what? Well, all it takes is a Detroit Lions, you know, mishap, which I don't know if you want to look at the past 50 years, but there's a pretty good reason to think that uh it might happen. So I'm just saying I I think Josh Dobbs and you know, this might be my kiss of death. I'm sorry, Simon, we might be like this might be like my counter to uh you know this this Dobbs lore, but I, I'm I'm kind of bought in. Because he was in Arizona, and they were fighting at the very least. They looked respectable. They didn't turn over like everybody thought they would and uh, just play dead, right? They went out there and tried to win the football game. And Josh Dobbs is going out there with a better cast. He's already proven that he doesn't need a whole lot of, uh, I guess, preseason snaps with the rosters. So, hey, you know what? It'd be one thing if he was coming off of the couch. You know, midway through the season, but he's been playing all season long. I I think that the the Vikings have an outside shot in into the playoffs. I'm I'm not saying it's for sure, but you know, I it's hard to name eight or nine better teams than the Josh Dobbs led Vikings in the NFC. Simon.
2: Yeah, we're talking like the Taylor Heineke led Atlanta Falcons, which that. That's a call that that's still stinging me. We'll we'll talk about the Falcons at some point, not, not today, but you know that that one's out there. The Brett Rippian, Los Angeles Rams this is the first don't I don't about that I don't one. even know. Yeah, we'll skip past that. The Baker Tampa Bay Buccaneer, like there's there's a real shot at at uh, this this Josh Dobbs team really doing something exciting, Ben. Um, you know, is there anything else, Ben? You want to hit on, on Dobbs and the Vikings, or do you kind of want to spin this back to the Cardinal side here next?
0: Yeah. So, listen for the Vikings. It's very exciting. It's 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 easy to root for Josh Dobbs. I think it's as easy to root for Dobbs it is as it is for the Lions watching this guy do these things. Dobbs has a live arm. That is, he can he can with strength and with speed and Velocity get the ball to deep corners of the field. There's no question about it. We're not talking Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. But that next step down, he can get the ball out there, and he can run around and make plays. It's it's just really a matter of him. Consistency and decision-making is what it comes down to for him. But it's he he can give this team a chance, and Justin Jefferson is coming back in a week or two. He's eligible to come back next week. Don't know if he will or not, but whenever that hamstring's ready, they've gone 4-0 and without him. So I jokingly suggest that maybe they don't want him to come back. But when he does come back, it's going to give them a real chance there to continue to try to win some games here. So uh, in a division that isn't overpowering outside of the Lions, you know, you've got chances to win games. So let's parlay that into the Arizona Cardinals, who we just mentioned conspiracy theory wise, traded Josh Dobbs. <clears throat> Lost 27 to nothing. Now they're back on track exactly where they want to be for the Caleb Williams or the whoever sweepstakes next year with number one overall pick. And Kyler Murray might be starting next week for the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> I got to start this one off, y'all. I don't usually do it, but I got to. Okay. Can you imagine behind closed doors? All right. Um, it's like a, it's like an episode of the Sunday Comics Man or something. The old Sunday comics in the newspapers. Can you imagine the conversation behind closed doors with the Cardinals front office people about what do we do about Kyler Murray? <laughs> do we want him to come back? What if he wants to come back? And here he is, guys. If he if if all goes on track, right now he is set to be the starter next week. Um, as of right now, so. It's getting a little crazy out there in Arizona, but I think they're used to it. Simon?
2: There's absolutely no way Tyler Murray can play next week, guys, right? Can you imagine <laughs> how on the hook the Cardinals are going to be if he goes out there and suffers any sort of level of injury? I mean, there's nothing they can do. So you you – Let's say and, – and I'm not wishing anything on anybody. I, you know, knock on wood. I don't want to jinx anything into happening. But let's just say he hurts himself. You're on the hook for him again next season. We go through this whole thing again, and you have the, let, let's say, second overall pick in the draft. What do you – do you do all this? Do you do all this again? Do you hang on to him for a whole other year and then try to trade him after he gets healthy again? They're – I said when his 21 day window got activated two weeks ago. Now, two two weeks and some change. Let's let's call it 18 days ago. I said to everybody just remember, if that 21 days goes by, he's out. He's done for the season. He's not activated. On pace, if there are no setbacks, he will start next week. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great, Johnny Johnny G. Um, uh, yeah, you go for it, man. He, yeah, you, uh, you know what? We got out there Friday and something just didn't feel quite right. We didn't want to there ain't no way. There there is absolutely no because what are you playing for? You've got one win. You've got one win. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with that win? And even if you're even if you don't want to trade Kyler, let's say you you want to get a, a King's ransom for this draft pick and, and and tr you know, let's say the Giants with their two wins, let's say the Patriots with their two wins, let's say the I don't know the Bucks with their three. When someone wants to trade up for you, saw what the Bears got last year. You roll with Kyler for next year, then, and you have the fourth overall pick, and you get you you get the Penn the is it Penn State the Penn State tackle uh, Olu Fashimi right, and, and you have him across from Paris, Paris Johnson. Yeah, sign me up for that. Let's say you trade for the third pit, you get Marvin Harrison Jr. You get Kyler and Marvin Harrison together. Yeah, time me. He, don't do not play Kyler right now. What are you What are you talking about, Ronan? What What do you think about all this?
1: It, it doesn't make any sense to start Kyler Murray. Uh, I'm right there with you, Simon. Well, okay. The only way I can justify it is if you know it's a new regime, right? They haven't gone out there and actually coached him on the field on Sunday. Maybe they just want to see. Hey, is, is he going to listen to us? Can we work with this guy? What does he have with the field? or have you know to provide on the field um that, that that's really my only justification is wanting to see you know how he meshes with the coaching staff because it's like everything you said they have one win they're, they're not really playing anything for this year there, there's no magical turnaround kyler murray isn't going to you know bring this team to you know, I don't even know how many win- or how many games are left in the season, but they're they're not going to sneak in as the seven seed. Like uh, the Josh Dobbs Vikings have a significant better chance uh, stepping into the playoffs than this Cardinals team, and that that's no hot take. I know Ben, you wanted a hot take today. Uh, it might be a, a mild one uh, the, the spiciest, but I, I don't know. That, that that's just my thoughts on it personally, Ben.
2: Hang on. Wait, you oh, uh, you want to know how he messes with the coaching staff? You you go to a, a team bonding retreat with Kyler and, and the offensive coaches and you let them do like trust falls and build paper mache towers. You do not throw him out there with, <laughs> against 300 pound defensive linemen and, and see how he takes a hit. That's not how, that's not how you do that. That's not it. Go ahead, Ben.
0: 405 Eastern CBS Falcons and Cardinals. What could possibly go wrong?
2: Of course it's the Falcons. <laughs> of course it's the Falcons. Oh, my gosh. Talk about two completely different – like you have the Falcons who have four wins, and Arthur Smith refuses to give his best players the football and gets mad when you say otherwise. And you've got Jonathan Gannon with one win saying, you know what? Let me take my franchise quarterback who we owe a billion dollars to and throw him out there with one win on one leg. That. I'm not watching that game. I refuse.
0: I can honestly say I'd rather watch that game just for pure perversity than watch Lions, Chargers, Giants, Cowboys, or Commander Seahawks at the same time slot.
2: Giants, Cowboys.
0: All right. (laughs) Anything else on Kyler Murray, guys, (laughs) before next week? (laughs) I
2: I just want everybody to remember Kyler Murray is a good quarterback. So wherever he is next year, it's going to be good. I just want to say that.
0: Hey everyone i'm ben parker
2: and i'm Roberts and Beyer, and we are the odds on favorite presented by
0: box score network every week we analyze nfl point spreads over unders props futures and much more follow us on twitter at odds on favorite and listen on apple
2: spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts hello everybody brandon tim here telling you all to listen to the fantasy football franchise a podcast giving you the insights to help you win your fantasy football leagues together we will look at everything fantasy football from the platforms we use to navigating weekly player projections listen to the fantasy football franchise a box score network podcast we'll see you at the next episode
0: All right, Uh, Simon, I'm going to get you started with the injuries here. Uh, Browns, I'll let you hit both of them. Browns offensive tackle, Jedrick Wills, MCL sprain, going to IR, but looks like we'll be back this season. Mm -hmm. And then Steelers linebacker, Cole Holcomb, with a knee knee injury, looks like he is out for the year.
2: Yeah, Browns offensive tackle, Jedrick Wills. So the Browns are already going to be on essentially their fourth string tackle when you look at their roster from the beginning of the year. Jack Conklin got hurt. What was that like week one or week two on the right side? Dewan Jones stepped in. He's been playing well. Um, let's see. Jay. Is it James Hudson? Yeah. James Hudson. He was a fourth round pick in 2021. He will, I assume be the left tackle moving forward, unless they make an outside move here this week. Um, and they'll have a really good test on how those young tackles are going to hold up because they play the Ravens next week who lead the league in Saxon are the, the best defense in the NFL by far. Um, so that'll that'll be interesting. Jedrick Wills uh should be coming back though, according to Stefanski. Um, but you know, obviously the Browns have had their issues on offense. We'll see what they look like um with, with a couple backup linemen trying to uh, lead that run game. And then for the Steelers, linebacker Cole Holcomb, I luckily still have not seen the injury. You know, when you try to avoid seeing the injury and you inevitably find it online accidentally somewhere. I have not seen it to this point. I do not plan on seeing it to this point. If you're listening to this podcast, do not send it to me. All I needed to know was as soon as uh, the closest teammate to Holcomb saw him on the ground, he immediately, I think it was Demonte Casey, immediately hands over face mask, head pointed to the sky. Like this was a grown man football player who saw whatever Holcomb's injury was and was in agony to see it. Um, Al Michaels on the broadcast said, it is a replay we do not need to show you. They haven't even said what the injury is yet, right? So all the reports, even up to today, when it was officially that made official he was going to IR, they just say season-ending knee surgery. So this man straight up like broke his kneecap and did a bunch of other nasty stuff. And I don't know about you guys, Broken kneecap is, I think, the most disgusting injury I've heard since really getting back into the NFL stuff over the last, you know, handful of years here. Like, that, your kneecaps just not supposed to break. That's not a thing that should happen. And that, so that's terrible. Um, Holcomb had been playing really, really well for the Steelers. The Steelers linebackers have been pretty poor for the last few years. They had been making plays. He was the leader of that uh, linebacker group, the Green Dot Wear. So it's going to be. Pretty impactful for the Steelers moving forward, especially with Minka Fitzpatrick also being out. Um, but that is your AFC North injury update, Ben.
0: Ronan, the Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard. Forearm fracture looks like multiple weeks. And Vikings running back, Cam Akers, the guy you know well. Ruptured Achilles looks like he's out for the season also.
1: Yeah, uh, Ben, unfortunately for Akers, I'll start off with him first. Yeah. Um, Second time he's torn his Achilles, right? We remember the first time he did, and he came back in record time, shocked everybody. Um, it, it's obviously extremely tough for him. He he was not getting a ton of looks in Los Angeles, hence the trade uh, to hopefully you know get a few more carries. He was behind Alexander Madison, so he wasn't the starter, but he was starting to get relatively comfortable in that offense with Kevin O'Connell and unfortunately, out for the season. Um, The Vikings are going to have to lean elsewhere in the run game. Just an all-around unfortunate situation. Hopefully, Akers can come back uh, soon. Now, for Dallas Goddard, right? Forearm fracture. He's going to be out a few weeks. This is one of those situations, right? We look at, like, the San Francisco 49ers whenever they're out a few stars. I... I Compare that to this Philly team. I I think this offense can handle it, but Dallas Goddard is a pretty big part of this offense, both in the run game and the pass game. I know he's not some stellar run blocker, but um, he's a big component of this offense. So, you know, we see quarterbacks kind of lose themselves whenever they don't have that reliable tight end. It's just going to be to be determined. We'll get to the Eagles-Cowboys game, but it seems like Hertz was relatively fine without him. But going forward with defenses preparing on just Brown, just Devontae Smith, just the run game. um, It'll be interesting to see how that Eagles offense is generated, Ben.
0: All right, fair enough. And there's injuries all over the league, always are. We won't cover all of them. But one other big one that we will cover tonight, Giants quarterback Daniel Jones. Torn ACL, it looks like he is out for the season. Um, I'm going to start this one off as well. This is the Daniel Jones, unfortunately, that we all know. He has an injury history. Not unusual. If you're Brian Dable, I'm sure it makes you sick. If you're the Giants general manager, it makes you sick because it was a big deal during the offseason to give him a lot of money. Play on the field just pushed aside for a second. You get this injury here, and now all of a sudden, it's kind of like the season is scrap. This You weren't good already. <laughs> but now you're thinking, well, if we can just get Daniel Jones back, maybe we can just make a show in here. And now Tyrod Taylor looks like he's going to be out for a while with ribs. Don't even know if he'll come back this year. It just gets messier and messier for the Giants this year. Simon,
2: yeah, I mean, like you said, you you were kind of hoping as guys got back healthy, Andrew Thomas w- was was playing again. Saquon was you know kind of back in and out. Okay, you get Daniel Jones back from the spinal injury, and if you can at least within the last eight games kind of replicate even half of what you did last year for Brian Dayball and the Giants. You're like, okay, this was a good reminder. We're still on the right track. Like we did the right thing. Just completely uh, a season from hell, right? You lose 40 to nothing in opening week to the Dallas Cowboys. And, and then everybody gets hurt after, you know, after that moment, just like everybody done. Like you're on six string offensive line. You One of your offensive linemen is making merch based on just getting off of the couch. Um, that's not where you want to be. Uh, Quick rant here, guys. I'm so sorry. Blake Martinez, it's currently being reported. I haven't seen this by, like, people I view as necessarily reputable, but uh, Jordan Schultz, now of Bleacher Report, reported that Blake Martinez, the linebacker, is signing with – I don't even remember. Did you guys see this, who who he's reportedly signing with? He's apparently coming back. This was the guy that last year playing for the Raiders was a backup, and when he had to play – 80% of the snaps in one game he retired on Monday and then you uh, on the deep end of Twitter like the uh the the scuttlebutt is like his Pokemon card business got like not rated by the FBI but like just like some fraudulent stuff's going on he he supposedly made like 17 mil in a year in this Pokemon business and just like bad stuff's happening uh anyways to you know get back to you know injuries and giants and whatnot um season for now for the Giants you're hoping you can see a little bit of something because this offense has just been putrid and then this happens and and, you know Ben you were the one I I was on the you know yeah you kind of have to pay Daniel Jones this is why like man, you don't trap yourself into these middling guys because if you have to pay them the money and they get hurt what are you really waiting for on the other side of it when they come back you don't know, you know, similar to what I was saying with Kyle, like you're, you're going to wait for, you know, the rest of the season and see if he could play for you. Cause they're not getting rid of him. You know, dead cap would be 69 million if they uh, try to move him, or close to 50 million, if they made it like, there's just, there's nothing you can do. You're, you're stuck. So, I mean, this team currently has what two wins on, under its belt. If you fall into one more, you get a top three pick. Like, what do you, what do you do? You know, Ben, I'll, I'll kick you first before we move it over to run. But do you just completely call reset with all of this? Or do you think because of the financial aspect, you're forced to just say, well, it didn't work. We'll draft an offensive lineman to try and help Daniel Jones when he gets back. We'll try to draft a receiver because our receivers aren't very good. And, and we'll run this thing back for another year. What do you think?
0: At, at this point, having made the decision, I go ahead and try to give Daniel Jones all the help I can. But I also, I'm probably going to draft a young quarterback somewhere in the mid rounds, just to give myself a chance in case he goes down. Then that following season, maybe in theory, I at least have a guy I like. You know, that, listen, that, it's a pretty quarterback-rich draft in terms of guys that just give you a chance. So, for instance, there's a guy named Michael Pratt from Tulane who's pretty mobile, got a pretty big arm. You know, he's not going to get a lot of headlines, probably not a future you know star, but gives yourself a chance to run the offense. There's several guys like that in this draft. So that's what I would do. Draft a middle-round quarterback, you know, no big deal, just hey, back backup for Daniel Jones, nothing to see here. Uh, but, yeah, I would continue the offensive line. Obviously, he needs weapons. You figure he's back healthy for the start of next year, and you kind of <clears> – <throat> the way these injuries run, you kind of sort of figure, well, good year, bad year, right? So if he misses the whole season, you kind of sort of think, well – Statistically, we probably got him for all of next year, right? So I just go ahead and plan for that. You kind of already made your bet here, so go ahead and lay in it. Make the best of it is, is what I would be doing. Ronald, feeling on Daniel Jones, I
1: I think moving forward, it, I, I'm right there with you guys. They're they're stuck with him pretty much. Um, not that he's the worst quarterback in the world, but there's definitely room for improvement. Um, I think you have to get him a number one target and I'm not saying go in the second or third round and keep your fingers crossed that the receiver you draft pans out. I'm saying get a premier top target for Daniel Jones just so you can see what he can do because, I mean, he's been throwing the guys that, you know, on a top 10 offense is a wide receiver three and that's no knock towards them that that's just, the skill level just isn't there in that receiver core. And then they bring in Darren Waller, but, I mean, he's older. He's going to get banged up. He's had injury history here and there. And The offensive line, you've guys said it yourselves, I it, it's not a good stay, state to be in. All in all, guys, the, the Giants need to get a, a top wide receiver, whether that be through the draft or free agency. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure who the the free agent receivers are this off season, if there's even any necessarily notable ones, but I, they need to make some sort of move free agency trade draft. um, But just not some second or third round pick. Cause I mean, Jalen Hyatt might end up being good, but I just don't know if he's going to be a a number one receiver for your team in three years. Right. I, I don't know if he's a, you know, 85 plus reception a year kind of receiver, So, you need to find a reliable target. Um, they're at two wins, so maybe they can end up in the Marvin Harrison sweepstakes uh, if they can get lucky and the Cardinals trade down or something, or who knows. Um, but receiver to me is most important moving forward for this Giants team because you're you're here with Daniel Jones. You're not going to go anywhere. He ain't going nowhere. So at least give him a chance, right? And then, like you guys said, the offensive line, it, it needs to be addressed, Ben.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm with you. I would want to get Daniel Jones as many wide receiving options as possible next offseason. Um, you know, he's here, so you're not going to be able to trade him. Releasing him just isn't just isn't going to make any sense. It's not going to help you immediately. So he's here. Get him every bit as much help as you can and move forward with, forward with that. All right, uh keeping it inside the division. Uh game of the week for us. Eagles beat the Cowboys twenty-eight to twenty-three. Simon, kick us off on it.
2: Yeah, I mean what a fun what a fun game, man. I mean, this was just this was a blast. I actually want to start on the Cowboys end of this. Um, because I know he's been getting clowned. Dak was awesome, man. I mean, 29 of 44, 374 yards, three touchdowns. I know he had the five sacks. Um, talk about a right tackle having a bad day. How about Terrence Steele over there? The that Philly defensive line. But to go up against that Philly line, that Philly pass rush with no run game and just deal, right? And and Dak, you know, scrambled a couple times in this one, not really the to, to the yardage that you would want. But the Cowboys offense, at least through the air, is starting to find its way. I think a few weeks ago I talked about they have a wide receiver two problem. Well, Jake Ferguson is filling that seven catchers for 91 yards and a touchdown. Um, He he had 10 targets in this one. It looks like he's really starting to um, kind of become the type of target that we thought he was going to be over the offseason. Exactly why Luke Schoonmaker in the second round was a, such a perplexing draft pick. But, you know, uh, that that's in the past. And I also like what I saw from Jalen Tolbert in this one. Three catches, 49 yards, a touchdown. Dak went to him at the end of the game. So hopefully there's something there. Former day two pick as well. Um, I thought this Cowboys offense and uh the passing offense uh particularly and and Dak looked really strong going against this Philadelphia uh defensive unit. But 28-23, Philly kind of keeps it rolling eight and one. It's looking uh like a pretty fun. Uh, a road through the NFC there, Ben.
0: Yeah, see, I'm with you on Dak Prescott. And again, because I'm on the extreme end of this money thing, Prescott is a guy that if I thought the Cowboys owner, you know, could be talked into it, I would have moved on from too. I would have traded him a year before paying him, but they've paid him. And I don't blame Prescott at all for for this loss. I mean, I know you can point to a couple of things here, but man, the dude was balling. You Mm -hmm. wouldn't even be close to, to winning this game and they easily could have won this game. If Prescott is not doing everything he's doing, I, I just thought Prescott looked fantastic. And you mentioned he's getting clobbered a lot. It's not like he's just getting to sit back there and do play action stuff. Like he's legit throwing the football. Um, so I, I hats off to Prescott. And, and he's not the reason they're going to be losing this season. He's, he's avoided interceptions in a lot of these games, unlike last year. And while his yardage totals haven't necessarily been through the roof every game, the last couple of weeks he's done a a fantastic job. So I'm with you on Prescott. I'll flip it over, though, the Eagles' script. We continue to see this Eagles' defense just isn't as crisp as last year. Now, they may win the Super Bowl anyway. I mean, good grief, they're 8-1. They just keep finding ways to win. They haven't played their best football yet this year. Um, They may win the Super Bowl anyway, but I do think we haven't seen Obviously, this Eagles defense is not as crisp as it was last year. It just isn't in spite of how impressive the defensive front line is for the Eagles. Ronan, thoughts on the game?
1: Ben, I completely agree. Philly is a hard team to slow down because even whenever they're not putting up eye-popping numbers offensively, they're still able able to win. Um, You know, Jalen Hurts, 17 of 23, two touchdowns, 207 yards. It's not like he was airing it out a ton. Uh, for a bunch of yardage. I mean, 207 yards is, you know, relatively average, maybe a little bit below average, but they also ran the ball 33 times uh, for 109 yards, which is a little bit interesting. 3.3 carry for a longest of 12 yards. Um, So the Dallas defense front seven was able to shut down that run game a little bit. So that'll be interesting to see, you know, maybe teams try to mirror how uh, Dallas played defensively or at least front seven wise. Uh, against Philly, but I think that was a really good point on Philly's defense, guys. Um, that secondary has been allowing good days for quarterbacks, we'll say. Um, you know, Dak Prescott has had ups and downs so far this season, but three touchdowns, no picks, 374 yards. That is a good day. Um, yeah, he was sacked five times for 41 yards, but, um, I don't know guys moving forward it's going to be it's going to be fun to see how this this Eagles secondary kind of goes throughout the rest of the season because quarterbacks have had good days it's just you know the offense is able to kind of compensate for it or the pass rush is able to compensate for it this Eagles team they started out very strong early on right 8 and 1 it's easy for NFL teams to fall off the wagon a little bit so you know will the offense kind of slow down a little bit. I mean, on Sunday they did, I I guess, to an extent. They didn't put up crazy numbers, uh, but, you know, 300 yards it isn't terrible. Uh, but overall, Dallas, I I'm not completely out on them yet, but it, it's interesting to see how, you know, 12 rushes, 51 yards for Pollard. Before the season they were talking about, hey, we want to run the ball more. And now that we're midway through the season – I don't know about you guys, but to me, it just feels like a maybe a slightly different variation to what they were running last year. Simon, what do you think?
2: Yeah, uh, great call by you. It absolutely is. They they want, and I think we're going to just see them move closer to what they did last year when they discover that there's nothing more they can do in the run game. As this, you know, this offensive line has dealt with injuries throughout the year, but I think Tony Pollard just doesn't have the juice necessary to to run the way that, McCarthy schemed this thing up to do so. And at this point, you know, past the trade deadline, um, uh, this late in the season, who are you really going to add to help you in that regard? I mean, I think this is just who this Cowboys team is. And it it would take a flamethrower month in January by Dak Prescott, which he's capable of doing for this team to, you know, get – be, be on the level of Philly. Otherwise they're, they're just a step down to me. Um, you know, you talked about the the Cowboys defense and, and what they were able to kind of put on tape in terms of stopping this Eagles rush offense. Um, really? I mean, really impressive. Uh, oh my God. Wait, is this true? The Eagles have been sub a hundred yards rushing for the last four weeks. Um, that's interesting. Jets, Dolphins, Commanders. It's interesting. I did not know that. Um, but the Cowboys still they they have been good. Um, they've been better against the run this year than we expected, and I think this was kind of further proof of that. I think they they showed that they were able to do it. The Eagles weren't quite able to just uh, salt the game away at the end. But it's funny. The the thing that killed Dallas was the thing that watching the game through the first half i was like all right i figured out what this eagles offense is missing from last year because they've they've mostly again although i just cited that that stat about their run game been able to run the ball when they want and control the the tempo of the game when they want and they can get aj brown open whenever they can hit devonta smith in the middle of the field whenever they want and it's just the it's the deep shots, right? It felt like they were so proficient with the deep shots last year. At any point, they could just. And as I'm thinking that Devonta Smith gets a 29 yard touchdown down the left side, back corner, just like a dart by Jalen Hurts, just like a w- amazing play. And then you look back at the stats at the end, and here's what killed Dallas because, yeah, they're uh, in total, you know, they they did great defensively. I mean, uh, less than 200, you know, essentially 200 yards through the air, uh, 100 yards on the ground. Um, but it's the explosive plays that, that got him. you know, Devonta Smith had a had his 29 yard, uh, catch. AJ Brown had a 20 yard reception in this one. Dallas Goddard had a 28 yard reception in this one. Deandre Swift had a 20 yard reception. So the chunk plays really just got Philly all the points they needed and, and kept the Dallas offense off the field as much, you know, just barely as much as they needed. Um, And I don't think that speaks to the Dallas defense necessarily. I think this is still very, very good top-end Dallas defense. But the Eagles' offense, even if it's clunky every now and again, they've shown throughout the season, they still have all the parts. It's just about can they, in that time in January, if they need it, can they put all components of the offense together? And I think based on the record and based on this team and the coaching and and Hurts and everybody – I think they'll be able to, but like, like you guys said, like they just might not even necessarily need it to all come together at once to get through the NFC. Um, ben, further thoughts on this game?
0: Yeah, I, I have no more thoughts on the game. I will just say quick caption on these two teams. It kind of feels like the Cowboys are close but not quite, which is kind of where I think a lot of us have been on them and their Super Bowl hopes. And then the Eagles, y'all both said it, but I'll say it again. It's kind of the way the NFL is this year. I don't think there's going to be a dominant team. No one could emerge by the end of the season, just get hot. But it looks like there's probably six, seven, eight teams that come playoff time, could make a run. And the Eagles will always be a part of that group unless an injury to Jalen Hurts or something happens. God forbid, right? They're going to be a part of that group. And there's absolutely no reason they can't win a Super Bowl this year, even though they are beatable. They have flaws, but so do all the other teams. There's no team this year that's going to be able to just march through without any flaws, unless one of them just gets hot. So that's my final thought here on the Cowboys and the Eagles.
2: What's up, everyone? I'm here to tell you about the Simon Shore Podcast. Every Thursday, I deep dive topics related to the NFL, pro hoops, pop culture, and more. Be sure to subscribe to the Simon Shore Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hey,
0: I'm Connor. I'm Billy, and I'm Austin, and we're the host of the Tricky Takes podcast,
1: presented by the Box Score Network. We talk about all things sports, ranging from golf, baseball,
2: football, NBA, and all college sports. Come give us a listen, and make sure you follow us over on Twitter at Tricky Takes, and that's Tricky with two eyes.
0: Sunday night football: the Bills and the Bengals. Bengals won it, twenty-four to eighteen. Ronan kick us off, man
1: my lord did joe burrow look good especially on those two first drives um he ended up i'm trying to pull up the stats here 31 of 44 for 348 yards and two touchdowns no picks and he was sacked once for five yards that ladies and gentlemen is called efficiency um after a rocky start to the season I I think Joe Cool 2.0 because I know Joe Cool is already a thing. I'm trying to work on the nickname. Uh, Joe Burrow he he seems to be back. And uh, on the flip side of that, Josh Allen and the Bills still continue to struggle in these big games. Um, the, the, there's one stat that that I'm going to throw out here, and then I'm going to kick it to you, Simon. Josh Allen was the leading rusher for the Bills uh he had eight rushes for 44 yards and a touchdown the next uh i I don't even know if you must say closest leading rusher had six attempts uh who was james cook who is a running back um so they rushed it 16 times for 68 yards um so they didn't do it efficient or inefficiently but Simon, lay it out for me. Explain to me why Josh Allen is the Bills' leading rusher. And explain to me why Joe Burrow is so good at football.
2: Oh, man. Joe Burrow is good at football because Joe Burrow is good at football. Uh, listen, he's great in the pocket. <laughs> he he hangs tough. He is incredible at moving within the pocket. And that's the thing he was missing for the first Five six weeks of the season with that with that calf injury, injury, and luckily he was able to stay healthy as he worked through it. And, and now we're just kind of right back to Burrow being Burrow, being able to do everything that he wants to do, extending the plays, avoiding the pressure, um, taking a couple hits, move, you know, even scrambling a little bit when he needs to. Um, but with those weapons, as long as everybody's hurt healthy, and you know, Jamar Chase got a little banged up in this one, he he even seemed like he. Thinks he might miss a game on himself with the back injury. But when that happens, then you have T Higgins, who is just like a number one receiver right behind him, which is which is great. I have more thoughts on, on the Bengals offense that that we'll get to later. But for the Bills. There is nothing more frustrating than watching them operate in these types of games Without the run game that they have invested in and shown to be successful this season. Last week, Ben went on a little rant about how they weren't running the ball enough. And afterwards, you know, I was kind of looking into it because I'm like, I know there are games when they run it. And on the season, I I didn't, I haven't looked um, after this past week, but on the season as of last week, they were 14th in, in just like rush attempts per game on the year. And that's with, Josh Allen up until the the last week and the week before, only running like three to four times a game. Like you know, it, it was only these last three weeks that he's rushed for seven, seven, and eight carries respectively over the last three weeks. So they had been doing the ground game. I had all the stats a few weeks ago about James Cook and his success rate, and uh, you know what he's been doing, and and when he's running ironically for him being smaller between the tackles between those tackles that or and between the guards that they invested in it's been successful and, and then they get into these games and for whatever reason i don't know if josh allen is is like a pitcher with his catcher like turning away play calls from from the oc or if he's just like making checks at the line to the pass play every time or if the bills don't know what to do in these big games other than just get the ball to josh allen but they need to run the ball, and Ben was totally right last week because they can't. the the This team doesn't have a good enough number two option right now, um, until Dalton Kincaid starts stretching the field a little bit more for them, and he's he's getting close. Guys, ten catches, eighty one yards, but they're just they're they're just not there for that. And and I say all that, and by the way, by all the numbers, they're still like an elite offense. They were only one score down from winning this one. I mean, they're right there. But, yeah, James Cook having six carries for 20 yards is is putrid, Ben. It's terrible.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, a couple of things I'll, I'll say here. This game for me was eerily similar to the playoff game last year mm-hmm. in which the Bengals – now, the Bills made a little bit better showing, but it wasn't a lot. Still, the point was Bengals controlled the entire game. Bills' offense struggles – and the Bills are kind of sitting on the sideline as the game runs out. Um, the, last, the playoff game last year was a little bit more dominant by the Bengals, but still it was eerily, eerily similar. And the camera flashed to, to Stefan Diggs, I think, with two or three minutes left. Uh, he's sitting over there on the bench. So he wasn't doing anything, but still the thought crossed my mind is, man, what is he thinking right now? Because this a lot, looks and feels a lot the same as last year. I can't see a huge difference here. Um, but in any case, um, another thing I'll point out in this game too – um, a guy that we liked last off season, and especially you, Simon. Dalton Kincaid got off to a very slow start this year, but the past few weeks he's getting more and more attention, and in this game especially, probably more than ever from Josh Allen. So he is now officially on Josh Allen's radar. Fumble notwithstanding, they're going to keep feeding him the ball because he's going to get more comfortable, not less comfortable. He's very athletic. He's producing, and I think he can do a lot more. Simon?
2: Yeah, I mean the fumble is is really key because you know this team lost by six points and they had two turnovers to the Bengals, no turnovers, right? That, and like that's that's the story. They were driving on that Kincaid fumble, and, and he was having a great game. But yeah, he's already he stepped into that inner circle of, of Josh Allen targets to the point that like he is limping with one leg, and Josh Allen's still like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna throw you the ball. You you you've got this. You're all right. After the Cam Taylor-Britt, very well-executed slide tackle. You would think he was in the uh, MLS playoffs going on right now. But Kincaid looks great, and he's a great fit for this team. And, you know, they started him out this season on a lot of the little tight end shovels and tight end screens. And they're slowly starting to spread him out further away from the line of scrimmage. Um, And he's a great middle-of-the-field option. But like Gabe Davis gave you nothing this way. Literally zero catches, zero catches, zero yards. He had two targets. One on the interception, um, which which I'll get into in a minute, how the interception kind of broke down. Uh, And another on on a play in the end zone that both plays, it was just like, dude, you were like in the area. You're like 6'3", you're like 205, 210. Like you're not getting, you're not even getting your hands on these balls. Like uh, it seems like for Gabe Davis, unless he's, just wide open catching in the breadbasket from from Josh Allen. He's not making a play, and that's just not what you need in this kind of offense if, if you're going to be a Super Bowl contender. You need more than that. Uh, the the interception, you know, it looked like um, it was going to be cover two. Kim Taylor Britt kind of settled in the flat for a hot second and josh allen goes to make that throw and i don't know if it was if they disguised it which would make sense for luana rumo and it was actually a cover three or if cam taylor bridge made a great play on the ball but it it you know just fools allen and and that's you know kind of what this team is so unless you get those extra explosive plays after that you kind of have to net in you're going to have an interception and the bengals didn't score after that you know they they um that was when the whole debacle of the Bills had a good defensive stand, and then they kick a 55 yard field goal, and then there's a weird, like, false start. There's some w- weird penalties in, in this one. Um, but the, they end up having a punt, so they don't, you know, the Bills don't lose any points on that turnover, but just two scoring drives that they just kind of give away, which is tough. You can't do that against the Bengals, Rona.
1: No, absolutely. I've just got one more final note for me personally. And it's more of a question, really. Um, The the Bengals did not run the ball very well. Uh, 22 attempts for 54 yards for a longest of 12 yards. So if you take that one 12 yard rush away, that yards per carry is even worse than the two and a half per clip uh, than it's listed at now. So is that going to be an issue moving forward, do you think? Uh, or do you think it was just a bad game against a good front seven? Uh, because well, it's it's tough to bank on Joe Burrow looking that good, 348 yards, two touchdowns every week, right? So you're going to have to lean on Joe Mixon a little bit at some point. Do you think that they're going to be able to? Ben, I'll start with you. Yeah, we saw it last
0: week. We've seen it two or three times this year, and we saw it several times last year. Uh, they they can. Now, they seem to, not quite as extreme as the Bills. I, I still don't like the Bills' rushing attack, but they seem to not necessarily be too worried about it. <laughs> they seem perfectly content to leave the ball in Burrow's hands, and I understand that. But still, to me, if you can do anything at all to take pressure off your quarterback, I don't care who it is, Prescott or Burrow or Allen, you try to do that. Um, they seem to be able to do that at times when they want to, except they couldn't do it against the Bills so it it seems to be something that they can't just pull out any time they want to it certainly helps. Simon
2: Yeah, this this was an issue for them last year. I, I I think last week against the 49ers was kind of just a good matchup. We talked about the 49ers run defense and why you know it can be shaky at times. Um I, and I think that was just a good matchup that the Bills made some smart adjustments I thought in the second half to really kind of clamp down on Um, on defense overall, but especially in the run game, I think they did a good job of actually keeping that pretty well in check. So I think it is going to be matchup dependent. I think they're going to be able to run on the teams that struggle against the run or struggle specifically against, you know, gun run schemes. Um, but I think these smart defenses, these good defenses, uh, it it is going to be a, a bit of an issue. Um, to flip it back over here to talk about the Bengals' defense a little bit. Just a shout-out for Sam Hubbard and B.J. Hill. The, those two were wrecking the right side of the Bills' offensive line. Osiris Torrance and Spencer Brown were having a hard time dealing with their games all, all game long. Um, so this Bengals' defense, I think we noted a few weeks into the season, not only was Burrow obviously struggling, but the defensive line didn't have the same pop that it had. had. And and they're – I mean, they're fully back. Your, your guy Ronan Nick Scott is, like, mixing in, getting involved in all these plays. The corners are great. The linebackers uh make all their plays. We talked about them last week, their turnovers that they created. Um, but this defensive line is is back as well. So the Bengals D uh looks like they're they're ready to mix it up with anybody. Um Ben, any other aspects of this game you want to hit?
0: Yeah, one final thought here. I just looking ahead of the offseason, I feel like the, the Cincinnati Bengals most important free agent during the offseason is their defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumbo. We're already starting to hear Word of teams being very interested in scooping him up as their head coach. And that would be very difficult for him to turn down, I'm sure. He's 57 years old, so I don't know how many more chances he would necessarily get at it if he doesn't jump on it now. But if I'm the Cincinnati front office, if I'm the Cincinnati brass, I'm going to be throwing a lot of money at him. It doesn't count toward cap space. And we've consistently seen these Bengals defenses consistently be stout for the past several seasons. Now they're usually not top five, but man, usually top eight, top 10, and they're just tough. They're smart, disciplined. It's just like you see it consistently out of him. And I, I would hate for them to lose him. If I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan or player of any sort, because that really has been the quiet calling card of the Bengals is that they can hold down these other teams offenses and give Burrow a chance. Even if Burrow, is running for his life, and he can only get 21, 24 points for Cincinnati. That's okay. The Bengals' defense allows them to do that. So uh that's my last thought there on on the Bengals. All right, Um our, our last game for the night, Thursday night football. Simon, I'll let you kick it off. The Steelers beat the Titans 20-16 to 16 in a tough, tight game. This was so boxed in it felt like every move these two teams were just slodging through the mud man but uh tough game give us give us the lead on it
2: yeah mike variable and the tennessee Titans are honorary members of the afc north right we're, we're hearkening back to the old afc central days right ben something like that that's where i think some of yeah, this kind of goes back felt to like. yes. um I mean, you see it. I mean, there's the the both rosters are just littered with guys who have been on the other team. I mean, Terrell Edmonds found his way to the Titans just less than a week before the the, the Steelers and Titans play against each other, which is just too perfect. Um, to me, this is this was a big game of change for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Matt Canada and I'm not. This isn't me as a Steeler fan saying now the Steelers have solved everything and are going to the Super. No, it's it's not that, but Matt Canada. Offensive coordinator, much maligned, for the first time called the game from the sideline. This I don't think he's ever done this in his entire career. I don't know the last time that he was on the sideline. He's never done it in Pittsburgh in the three years that he's been part of the coaching staff. Um, He's always in the booth, so he was down on the field. Broderick Jones, rookie tackle, starts at right tackle, which – He'd never played right tackle before uh, in the NFL. He barely even did it at Georgia. He, like, practiced it at Georgia. Um, so that was a big deal. And then uh, the the Steelers received the kick at, to open the game. Most teams don't do this. The Steelers hardly ever do this. And, and Mike Tomlin decided this week, he was like, we're pulling out all the stops for this offense, and if we can't do this now, then uh, we'll probably never be able to do it. So it was put up or shut up time and it worked. I mean, opening drive score is the first time they'd done that this season. I think going back to like week 15 of last year or something like that was the last time they had an opening drive score. The run game was awesome. 166 yards on the ground. That would be number one in the league on a per game basis. The previous high on the year was 114. Uh, The Steelers are still a bottom 10 run offense by yards uh, per game after having 166 yards on the ground. So that just shows how bad uh, it's been all season. Um, along with Project Jones, I thought it was key that uh, the other rookie from Georgia, Darnell Washington, got back in the game. He only played 10 snaps last week for some strange reason. Um, he was lined up next to Jones on a lot of those run plays, and those guys were just pushing dudes. I mean, they were just whoever they could find. They were just knocking heads. So that was that was a lot of fun. Um, but it was a game of change for the Steelers offense. It felt like hopefully... Uh, I shouldn't say hopefully, uh, we will see if it is, you know, a trend moving forward, how this run game can be a little bit more efficient because the Titans, even though they've been able to have been run on this season, you know, it's still a good group up front there. So um, that that was the first thing that stood out to me there, Ben.
0: Yeah, and I'll go with the obvious for the crowd here. Will Levis for the Titans had another productive game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And again, we, the touchdowns all disappeared, right? There weren't the four touchdowns to DeAndre Hopkins. But still, the Titans let him go out there and throw the football. They they let him be aggressive. You saw 250 yards, 260 yards there. And he had a chance to win it at the end. He didn't get it done. But, man, he had a chance. So, I, I like that. I Listen, to, to, to me – I say it's obvious. Maybe it's not. I think we'll love us to just get the run of the rest of the season. Give him every chance to not only see what he can do, but see if you want to add to it next off season. So might um, I, you know, even if he has some bad games, and it may not, he may have all good games. But even if he has some bad games, I think you just give him the chance. Keep giving him the chance here for the rest of the season, a
1: Ben, I completely agree. Um, it's one thing to go have him go out there and finish out the season. It's another for him to go out there and let him mess up. Let him go out there and play his game. And, you know, what? if he messes up, that's fine. If he throws a pick, that's okay. Um, just to get comfortable with, you know, or familiar with what he can and can't do in the league. Um, you know, 22 of 39 for 262 yards, that's nothing to slouch at. No, nothing to uh, be too upset with. So, you know, he, he's shown signs moving forward. I, I think, all things considered, he's one of the the better options for Tennessee. Um, because you know, this team's gonna fight. They're three and five right now, so I don't know if they're gonna be in that quarterback sweepstakes. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about those top three guys. They might be in that window for that third guy, but you know, it's just to be determined. Personally, I just let it ride out with Levis and uh, see how he goes. Now, for the Steelers side of things, um, th- there were a couple interesting things that popped up to me. And, uh, Simon, you might be able to help me cl- or clarify some of these. Uh, Deontay Johnson had a pretty good day, seven receptions, 90, 90 yards, and a touchdown. No other re- Steelers receiver had more than two receptions, which is a little bit worrisome. George Pickens had two reception, or yeah, two receptions for negative one yard on five targets um he went to instagram i believe and there was a little like text under his instagram story that said free me so you gotta love it whenever your second year receiver is wanting out of there um for you know after a thursday night football game where he had negative one yard um but i guess i'll go ahead and start off with just this question is that something that you're going to keep an eye on moving forward Is are you worried that you know pickens might take offense to not being a huge role in this offense. And second, do you, is there a reason why uh, the receivers weren't necessarily more incorporated uh, on Thursday?
2: I think it just mostly had to do with uh, there was an even game script. They were able to run the ball 30 times, which I don't, I actually don't know if they've run the ball 30 times at all this season. Um, And then, you know, the, defenses that the studios have faced this year have been giving pickens a lot of attention that was no different in this one um and when that means deontay johnson can be open for seven catches for 90 yards and you get him his first touchdown and you know over a calendar year uh you you take full advantage of that but they were just able to run the ball a bunch pickens in terms of the nervousness of wide receiver like I am the last person who cares about people who uh, the, when the players like take their pictures down from a team like uh, I've equated it to like turning your phone on silent when you leave work at the end of the day. Right. Like sometimes you just don't want to think about work when, when you get home at, at six o'clock. So George Pickens, for all I know, was just like, wasn't he like watching Rick and Bordy or something? And then it was Probably. like uh, it was just like, yeah, it had nothing to do with football. I mean, I don't even care if it did have to do with football. They had a mini bye week, you know, after playing Thursday. Maybe he just wanted to be on his Twitter on, on his Instagram and not see a bunch of football stuff for a little. I mean, I don't, I don't freaking know, but uh, he did, you know, miss out on a touchdown for himself. He couldn't quite get the two toes down um, on one of those plays. So, like, there, there are plays to be made for both of them, but also Kenny Pickett definitely missed him a couple times. So, am I concerned that he's not going to get the production he should because of the offense and the quarterback? Absolutely. Am I worried that uh, he's going to take to Instagram and do a bunch of stuff? I mean, only as much as I'm concerned about, you know, Ben doing that after a podcast where he doesn't get to talk as much as he wants. It's, it's like, you know, it's going to happen probably, but like you just got to deal with it. It's part of life. <laughs> you know, that's what I've I've got it planned out, man. I've got it planned out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so my bigger concern actually is Kenny Pickett. I mean, listen, out of that draft which was not a big quarterback draft but out of that draft I was the highest on picket of anybody I mean head and shoulders I thought and while I'm not totally certain I've changed necessarily out of that draft he hasn't looked good this year I mean other than the few fourth quarter drives he just hasn't looked good Um, in fact some of the throws that we saw on, on Thursday night were just ugly I mean there were receivers that could have you know, pretty normal NFL throws we're looking at, and he just flat out missed them—overthrows, underthrows, side throws. A, you know, it was ugly at times. He still wins the game, so hats off to him for it. But you know, at times he just doesn't even look like he's certain or confident in himself. I mean, when you when you watched him in his final season uh, with the the Pitt Panthers in college. It was extremely confident all the time. It was almost like every move was confident, every move was certain, and it was laser throws, laser accurate. And we just haven't seen that. It almost feels like he's either uncertain or unconfident. You say, "Well, maybe that's his, uh, maybe that's his small hand or the weather or the you know the team change or whatever. I don't think so. The, the weather's identical to what he played in in college, literally identical. You know, his hand hasn't changed, you know, from what it was in college. He threw with the glove in college, the football. It doesn't change much, maybe maybe a little bit from college to pro. That there's a little bit of a difference there, but not enough, you know. So then you just get back to well, he's either confused or con- unconfident, one or the other. In either case, he's not playing well. So if I were the Steelers, you know, you don't say anything about it during the regular season, but behind closed doors, I'm looking. If I don't see improvement by the end of the season, that's two years now. I'm at least starting to think about during the off season. What do we do here at quarterback? Because basically we saw the tail end of last year we saw some pickup there and then this year it's just been nothing so you know something to keep an eye on there simon
2: yeah i think for pickett and i wasn't i wasn't very high on pickett honestly when he when he was coming out um i now take that with a grain of salt i was a desmond ritter guy he got benched uh whereas you know pickett still still not benched so like i don't know i don't know if that makes me right or wrong or or what um yeah, Pickett is still pretty inaccurate um, in the short and intermediate parts of the field. He's one that succeeds with uh, deep outside shots, ironically enough, because he doesn't really have that big of an arm. He's good when he gets on the move a little bit. But even then, his processing is is still a little bit too slow for what I would like. Um, reason One of the reasons I didn't love him coming out was, yeah, he had that huge blow-up year. As a fifth-year senior at Pitt, right, four years of just, like, fine play, kind of like what he's doing now. And then when he's 23 going against 19- and 20-year-olds, like, he looked really good, right? And and for Pittsburgh, the way they play and I think the mindset that they've had – I mean, even when he was coming out, it was like, hey, he's so smart and he has a lot of experience and he's accurate, which he's not that accurate, but – that was the mindset. And so to him, that's, Hey, I can't turn the ball over. And I think why you're getting a lot of those fourth quarter good plays, is because like, you just got to go out there and you got a ball out now. So there's, n- you, you know, you're not as worried about throwing, the, making the mistake or throwing the- So like when there can be a little more give in that, and, and that's where you get into the whole, like, what's a second contract look like? Because if by year four, he's confident enough to, you know, grip it and rip it a little bit. Much like Will Levis is doing, because I'll I'll come back to Levis here in a minute. Um, Then you're like, okay, well, are you maxed out anyways? And and it's a whole thing. So, yeah, there's definitely some issues with Pickett. Will Levis, man, I mean, I'm looking at in the moment what, what I was feeling in this game compared to his first game where he had the four touchdowns. Was he was thrown to different parts of the field now. He was doing more things, different types of throws, different routes that he was thrown to. And and I'm on next gen stats right now, just looking at his passing charts uh from the two weeks side by side. And they're like almost inverses of each other, right? That first week it was all screens, flats, and and deep shots, right? And and that's great. You get the four touchdowns out of that. This game against Steelers, it was all mixed around. It's middle of the field. It's short and intermediate. It's to the numbers. It's to the sideline. It's everything. And he was standing in the pocket. He was taking pressure. He had throws that had more zip on him. He had throws that were more layered over, you know, cornerbacks' heads. Um, he should have had a touchdown in there also. That that pass to Tajay Spears um, was really thrown in a perfect place for a wide-open touchdown, and Spears... Like a running back coming out of the backfield, like turned around and tried to backpedal and catch it into the end zone, like that doesn't work. Um, so he he dropped it. But Will Levis had, had a really good game, I thought in this one. Yeah,
0: agreed. And especially in the first half. In the first half, he was almost on fire. Yep. A lot of that fire smoldered out in the second half yep. until you got to the very end of the game when he was able to pick it back up again because absolutely had to. I say give Will Levis a chance. Now listen. <laughs> The list of quarterbacks we've looked at over the past year and a half alone who looked bright as fire and then just smoldered out is gotten to be a very long list. So buyer beware here on Will Levis. But two games, two very representative games, and he's looked just fine. And there's no reason to pull him, you know, sit him back down on the bench when Tannehill comes back. Yeah, absolutely keep writing this, even if he has the bad games. But if he doesn't, then you've got absolutely nothing to lose here. So keep putting him out there. I mean, just give him everything you can, support him all the rest of the way. All right, uh, I think that's it for this game. Last thoughts from around the NFL, Ronan.
1: So, guys, I'm sure you heard um, the Houston Texans and Tampa Bay Buckingham here is matched up on Sunday, and my lord, was it a good one! Um, it, it was a fist fight. It was offensive explosions everywhere. The final score was 39 to 7, 39 to 37 in favor of the Texans. Uh CJ Stroud I I'm I'm I am i am i am eating my words now. I'm eating my words now. He was the best quarterback out of this draft class. I'm sorry. My lord. 30 of 42, 470 yards, which I believe is an NFL record for a rookie and five touchdowns against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers absolutely eviscerated the secondary. Um, He has made a huge case for offensive rookie of the year. He is on absolute fire right now. He's leading the Texans who are four and four right now through eight weeks into the season, nine weeks into the season. The the Texans are 500 guys. Um, Simon, I think you had a little bit of of an inkling to this. Personally, I, I thought there was no shot. I thought four was probably the the season total. Ben, I can't quite remember where you stood, but good Lord, this Texans team is pretty fun to watch and good for D'Amico Ryan. Guys, you got to love this entire Houston Texans storyline, Ben.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They're a lot of fun to watch. C.J. Stroud, he had a couple of quiet weeks right before the bye, right? But every other week, it's been yardage, yardage, yardage. A lot of wins mixed in, a lot of touchdowns mixed in, and not a lot of interceptions mixed in. It has been fantastic. Simon, your last thing of the week.
2: Oh, gosh, I have so many things, guys. First off, Joey Porter Jr., clear lockdown corner, CB1. I mean, just the the Steelers are one of those defenses. I'm sorry, I'm going back to Steelers here. Uh, the Steelers are one of those defenses that have sides for their corners, right? Left corner, right corner. Joey Porter walked up to Mike Tomlin uh, last week in prep for the Titans game and said, I want to follow DeAndre Hopkins, and Tomlin led him. And Hopkins' best plays were uh, penalties drawn, which Porter definitely had. Um, But uh, true lockdown corner one. So, um, Bears, thanks for that. Uh, Draft pick, we appreciate it. Um, Let's see. To the uh, CJ Stroud stuff, uh, yeah, Ben, you and I, man, we we were on CJ Stroud. Talking about the Kenny Pickett draft, I asked you why should the Steelers draft any of these quarterbacks and not just tank for C.J. Stroud, and you told me they should. That was two years early, so good on good on us for that. Um, my last thing, my actual thing, I, I tweeted this when it happened. I slacked you guys. I think the next day I want it on record. So here it is. I was a year early on anti-Raiders. Josh McDaniels got hired. I said, no one beyond the Raiders, no matter what, this is a bad team. I am 100% back in on the Las Vegas Raiders right now. Um, (laughs) I sent this to you guys before the game happened, and I am 100, uh, 1,000% in on the Raiders. Antonio Pierce is just the head coach. I mean, we can get into all the stories that came out of McDaniels and Pierce and the locker room and everything, but – all you need to do is just watch the videos from inside the locker room, before the game, after the game. Um, th- this team has has a decent record right now, which we did whisper about for for a little while. They're four and five at the moment. Um, in O'Connell, Ronan's guy, he's going to be playing the rest of the way. This defense, we we talked about, I think a couple weeks ago, like actually has been doing some nice stuff. Um. I'm all the way back in on the Raiders. And if they let the interim coach go again, I'll Rick Pasaccia and, and make another stupid hire, I'll be out. But for the rest of the season, uh I I'm in. What what are what's their hashtag? Is it just Raider Nation still? Raider Nation, you know, I'm I'm in on it. I'm ready.
0: <laughs> yeah, I listen, the Raiders have a chance there. I mean, can you believe it? They've got an actual chance to be in the playoffs. I mean, I I absolutely love it. So Hats off to the Raiders. Um, so anyway, my, my last thing of the week, I think is something that I, I brought up be the last week of the week before, but I'm going to bring it up again. And that is the Indianapolis Colts. So listen, they had uh, two pick sixes on uh, Sunday against the Panthers, which basically flipped the whole game, script. maybe the Panthers even win that game. But hats off again to the Colts. Statistically, the way they are lining up with, again, it's not like they have the most weapons in the world. They've got some decent weapons, but it's not it's not an elite receiver core necessarily. They've been through to two different uh, quarterbacks now. And statistically, they still are lining up basically where the Jaguars are lining up. They're not too far behind where the Detroit Lions are lining up in terms of offensive production. So hats off again to Shane Steichen for continuing to do this through the season. This is about the time of the year where we start to see teams with lower talent bases kind of start to fade out. And the Indianapolis Colts just simply haven't done that yet when I keep expecting them to. So hats off again. I know I've said it before, but Shane Steichen statistically continues to have this offense putting out yardage and points, even though they had two pick sixes, which resulted in half the 27 points on Sunday. They continue to just be right up there with some of the more notable what we would think of as more notable offenses, talented offenses, they are holding up as well. All right. Simon, shut this thing down, man.
2: All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Stat Sheet Podcast. Make sure you are checking out all the podcasts, a part of Box Score Network. Uh have a great week of NFL action Thursday night. Bears, Panthers, Barn Burner. Can't wait for that. Uh we will be back with you next week to talk about all of the week's NFL action and news. Thank you so much. Have a good one.